Today's reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 to chapter 6, verses 2. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be to sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Thank you, Chloe. Uh, we are coming to the end of our little series in 2 Corinthians. And we reach a real climax in our passage this morning. See, over the past four weeks, we've been looking at a few passages in this letter written by Paul to this church in Corinth. Now, we've seen each week how this relationship between the two of them had been stretched to breaking point. They were questioning whether Paul really was an apostle of God. How could the living God be speaking through someone like Paul? And so in this letter, Paul makes his defense. He explains his apostleship. And we reach a real climax in our passage this morning because this is where Paul shows us what his ministry is all about. He shows us what he is doing in this world, uh, what his ministry is all about. And again, it's of real relevance to us today, because the ministry that Paul describes here is in fact the ministry that all Christian believers share in. Uh, put it this way, as we see what Paul is called to, we also see what we are called to. We are called to be ambassadors for Christ. In other words, Ambassador International Church. We really are called to be ambassadors, ambassadors for Christ. And our passage this morning shows us what that involves. It shows us the perspective we have, uh, the message that we hold out, and the role that we play as ambassadors. Uh, in other words, what this passage shows us is what God is doing in the world. What the living God is doing in this world and our place in that. You see, as Christian believers, our place in the world is far from a prestigious one. We thought a bit about this the other week. Uh, this calling to be ambassadors for Christ, it's not the promise of a glamorous life. Uh, just look at Paul's life. Uh, we've seen each week, haven't we? The Christian life is marked by weakness. And yet there is real strength in weakness because the living God has chosen to speak through even people like us, weak ambassadors. We're called to be ambassadors for Christ. Now, if you're following along in the bulletin, you'll see there's three headings there. They all begin with the letter R and they all rhyme, which I was very excited about. But uh, it turns out it's really confusing. In fact, I was getting confused between them because they all rhyme. So we're going to ditch that. Instead, this is how we're going to work our way through these pa this passage. We're going to see the perspective that we have as ambassadors. 
the message that we hold out as ambassadors and the role that we play as ambassadors for Christ. The perspective, the message, and the role. And my prayer is that as we work our way through these verses, the Lord would give us a vision of what He has called us to and that He would encourage us as we seek to live that out. And so with that in mind, why don't we jump in and see how it is that we are called to be ambassadors for Christ. Let's start then with the perspective we have as ambassadors. Verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. See, as ambassadors for Christ, our perspective has been completely transformed. You see, for anyone who comes to Christ, our, our lives are turned upside down, aren't they? It changes everything. Following Jesus isn't just a little part of our life, sort of a hobby on the side. So one of the many activities that we get up to each week, or a way of life that we try out for a season. It changes everything. You see that in the way that our passage flows right out of what comes before. See, in verse 14 and 15, Paul says that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live, those who now have life in Jesus, should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. In other words, because of what Jesus has done for us, our whole lives are turned upside down. It changes everything. It changes our perspective on life, how we see people, how we see the world. Verse 16, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Now, what would it mean to regard people, to see people from this worldly point of view? Well, I think this description from Tim Keller really helps to capture what's going on here. You see, in our society, he says, it's all about what we have rather than who we are, whether that's money or beauty or power. It's the way we judge people, the way we compare people. And so he says, a man is judged by the size of his wallet and a woman by the size of her dress. Now, of course, the, the specifics can be switched around the other way around. You can put other details into this. We're familiar with the gist, aren't we? Sizing people up like this, depending on what we see. Uh, we all have this calculation in the back of our minds, don't we? When we encounter people, uh, depending on where they're from, where they live, what they do, we sort of calculate where they stack up in the world and how we compare with them. We'll never say it, of course. But in the back of our minds, we're making that kind of calculation. And of course, this isn't just something that we find out in the world. No, we find this throughout Christian community. Uh, there's a little game in the UK called Top Trumps. And if you're from North America, it's kind of like baseball cards. Uh, pick any topic, like jet planes or sports cars or skyscrapers. And it's all about comparing the, statist uh, the statistics my car has a higher top speed than your car. My skyscraper is taller than your skyscraper. Well, I remember being part of a workshop, a seminar one time, and they used this as an illustration. You see, they got us to write our own top trumps cards using ourselves to write our own top trumps cards. Here were the categories. Number of sermons preached. Number of Bible studies led. Uh, Bible knowledge out of 66. The worst one was this, godliness out of 10. It was horrible. What would you even write for that? Godliness out of 10. 
But as horrible as it was, writing this out onto paper is what happened next. Because we had to then give these cards back in. And they started playing the game with our cards. They started playing the game with us. Oh, look, my guy's preached 20 times. Oh, mine's preached 25 times. It was horrible to see yourself compared like that. Now, they didn't use our names. It was all anonymous. But it brought the point home really powerfully. See, we would never do that explicitly. And yet, we find it so easy to view life this way. Comparing, competing. It's all about how we stack up this race to the top to climb the ladder. That's what this worldly point of view is like. And the trouble is that from this perspective, Christ is a complete failure. See, from this worldly point of view, what would Jesus' stats be? His influence was local. His ministry was brought to a swift end. He was put on display as this wannabe revolutionary, crushed under the thumb like an ant. But when we start to see that Jesus is in fact the risen king, we start to see everything differently. When we start to grasp that he is in fact the victorious king, it transforms our perspective. See verse 16 again, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. See, rather than seeing Christ as a failure, we come to recognize that it is through Christ that God is transforming lives. Christ is not a failure. No, through Christ, God is bringing people to himself. The language here is creation language, like Genesis. The new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. Paul might be thinking back to chapter 4, verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. That's the scale of what happens in our hearts as we turn to Christ. This is how one writer puts it. It is a contrast between nothing less than two worlds, the old world order and the new world order. That's the scale of what God is doing in people's lives. This is what God is doing in the world. And so as we begin to see who Jesus really is, our perspective is transformed. We look at the world differently. So you put it this way, we no longer have to be stuck in this constant comparison and competition with others. And instead we're liberated to see what God is really doing in the world. Or you think of it this way, as we look at people around us, we no longer have to be fixated on their societal status, where they match up, where they stack up. Now instead we can be concerned for their spiritual status, whether or not they have this life in Jesus Christ. See, when we look out of the world, what do we see? We don't see that the world is just this place where we have to compete and compare in order to survive. No, this is a world where God is drawing people to himself. This is a world where God is at work. That's the perspective we have as ambassadors for Christ. And it's in this context 
that it makes sense of the message that we hold out. You see, at the heart of what God is doing in the world, drawing people to Himself, at the heart of that is reconciliation. See, if that is our perspective that we have as ambassadors, this is the message that we hold out. It's a message of reconciliation. Verse 18, All this is from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. You see, this word reconciliation comes up again and again in our passage. And we use this word in so many different areas of our lives. It's all to do with bringing two things together. Uh, Perhaps we talk about reconciling ideas, two different ways of thinking. that we, We can't see how they come together. Uh, We talk about reconciling our desires. Perhaps we have this strong desire to get up early and be in a good routine with exercise, but how do we reconcile that with our desire to sleep and enjoy life? Uh, Apparently this word is used in the world of accounting, Uh, something to do with reconciling. People are nodding. I don't actually know what this means. Reconciling accounts or checks, maybe, something like that. I'm sure it's very exciting if you know what reconciliation is in accounting. But of course, the chief area that we speak about reconciliation is relationships. Perhaps we've had a long-time friend who's been with us through the years, but then for some reason or another, something has happened, a difficult conversation, and then that relationship is broken. There's a gap there, there's a void. We see it within families, between siblings, torn apart, uh, between parents and kids, where they no longer speak anymore. Uh, We see it within marriages, that gap between husband and wife. And of course, where there is this void, where where there is this gap, it's painful. And there are times when we can hardly picture how those two could be brought back together. Well, this is where reconciliation comes in. This is how J.I. Packer describes reconciliation. It is a big word expressing a big idea, namely all that is involved in turning a state of alienation, hostility, and apartness into a state of intimate, affectionate, harmonious togetherness on a permanent basis. That's what reconciliation is. And according to Paul, that is what God is doing in the world. He has reconciled us to himself. And how does he bring that about? Well, verse 19, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. That's how he brings this about, by not counting our sins against us. You see, the reason why reconciliation was needed in the first place was because of our sins. Our sins are the reason why there's this gap. Our sins is the reason why there's this void. It's it's the story of humanity. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God said to them, do not eat of this fruit. And they ate of the fruit. They flatly disobeyed God. They rebelled against His authority. See, at the heart of it, they refused to acknowledge that God was God and that they were not. And in the end, they became the center of their own universe. 
And so they traded everything away. Instead of peace, there was hostility. Instead of fellowship, there was enmity. Instead of being friends with God, they became enemies of God. It's the story of humanity. It's our story. We've become the center of our own worlds. Left to our own devices, we refuse to acknowledge that God is God and that we are not. We rebel against Him. We disobey Him. The whole human race, left to our own devices, we are stuck in this state of hostility. We can barely picture how we could ever be brought back. Well, the good news of Christianity is that God has made a way. We've seen that in verse 19 already. Not counting our sins against us. Verse 21, he gives this great summary of how it is that God does this. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was utterly pure. Literally here is that he did not know sin. He had no acquaintance with it, no experience, no participation in sin. He was utterly blameless, even in his death. And yet he identified with our sin for our sake. Uh, the way that Paul describes it here is remarkably similar to how we find it put in Isaiah chapter 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What God promised to do, he has accomplished in Jesus Christ. This great substitution. You see, this is the mystery of the cross. Jesus Christ treated as an enemy so that we could become friends. His blood was shed so that our sins could be washed away. He took the alienation that we deserved so that we could receive what he deserved. See, verse 19, God does not count our sins against us. Well, what does he count for us instead? Verse 21, he counts Christ's righteousness for us. We can be made right with him. Think of it this way. When Jesus came, he didn't just come with a checkbook and then write off our debt and then tell us to just stop bothering him. He didn't come and just wipe the slate clean and they said, okay, now just go and do better this time. Now, when Jesus came, he welcomed us in. That relationship has been restored. That gap is now gone. We're in. We're brought near. We've been reconciled. And so now when God looks at us in Jesus Christ, he smiles. It's what we were made for. And this is the message that we hold out as ambassadors for Christ. That God has done everything needed to reconcile us to himself. You see, our message isn't that people need to reconcile themselves to God. 
Our message isn't to urge people to do whatever they can to figure something out to make themselves right with God. See, if we get this the wrong way around, we miss everything. Now, our message is that God has reconciled us to himself. The question isn't, will you reconcile yourself to God? No, the question is, will you receive the reconciliation that God has accomplished? That's our message. And so, friends, if you have not yet received this reconciliation, what's holding you back? If you've not yet put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, will you come to him today? If you're not quite ready to make that step, will you talk to someone? Will you do something about it today? Because God has done everything needed to bring us back to himself. And if you have received this reconciliation, where does it leave us? See, if God has done everything needed, all this is from God, all the verbs here, it's God at work. If this is what He is doing in the world, well then what's our role? Well, we find that our role is to be ambassadors for Christ. Verse 18, He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, He's committed to us the message of reconciliation. And so verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. That's our role now. We've seen the perspective we have, the message we hold out. Well, this then is our role, ambassadors, representing the living God in this world, standing in his stead as we hold out this appeal of reconciliation, proclaiming the message that we have see, there's a real gravity to this, isn't there? Ambassadors for Christ. As we go out from here, we're not representing ourselves. We're not representing our own brand of wisdom, secret to success, Will Zong's five steps to be successful. No, we're not representing our own agendas in the world. We're not even primarily representing our own nation, our own political view. Now, who are we representing? We represent the living God. We are ambassadors for Christ. What we're showing people isn't what they need to do. We're showing people what God is doing in the world, what He has done. And so it shapes how we proclaim this message. There's a real gravity here. Paul says, we implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. There's a passion here. There's a weightiness here. Just think of when a parent talks to a child. And if you're not a parent here, you'll still remember this from the child's perspective as well. See, when a parent talks to a child, it can happen on a whole spectrum. See, at one end of the spectrum, a parent will say things that they know doesn't matter too much. In fact, they know that it will have almost no effect whatsoever. Just think of families trying to get out the door and the parent will say to the child, okay, we're running late. Let's hurry up. Let's go, let's go. And just think how many times those words are said in the world every day compared to how little impact they ever have in the history of the world. But it doesn't matter. It's not a big deal. But then when it is a big deal, 
when the stakes are high, when the subject is serious. Oh, you hear the passion, don't you? Stop! Don't go anywhere. Stay here. Come back. Well, that's the kind of passion we see here. We implore you on God's behalf. Be reconciled to God. This isn't just sharing some information, sharing some tips that you might find interesting. No, this is a weighty thing. We are ambassadors for Christ. It, there's gravity here. There's urgency as well. Verse 1 from chapter 6. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Paul takes us back to the book of Isaiah, where Isaiah was looking ahead to the day of salvation. And what Paul is saying is that in Jesus Christ, the day is here. That time is now. There's a real climax here. There's urgency. Be reconciled to God. And there's a remarkable thing that we see. You may have noticed it already in verse 20. As we live out this role as ambassadors for Christ, it is God himself working through us. Verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. See, our mission isn't like a project that our boss just puts on our desk and says, okay, now can you just go figure it out yourself? No, this is God's mission. This is what God himself is doing in the world, reconciling the world to himself. And it is through us that he makes that appeal. Even us, weak ambassadors. I wonder if you feel small today. Maybe you feel young Young in age, young in experience, young in the faith. Oh, surely, surely this kind of calling, well, that's reserved for the older people, the more mature people. Perhaps we feel too insignificant in the world. We don't have much sway, we don't have much influence. Perhaps we don't feel particularly professional. We stumble over our words. Oh, surely we should leave this to those who have it all put together. Perhaps we feel so weighed down by our own burdens, our own struggles, our own questions even. How could God use me? I love the way this author puts it in talking about our mission. He says, when we're normal and open about our difficulties and struggles, Christ, in all his power and glory, will, um, will come pouring out of the cracks in our lives. I wonder if you recognize the image. Treasure in jars of clay. Strength in weakness. God is at work in the world. God is doing a mighty thing in the world, reconciling the world to himself. And he makes his appeal through you, through me through weak ambassadors. And so what we're left with is an awesome 
privilege. As we live out our lives, we are holding up the banner for Christ in the different contexts that God has placed us. Maybe we can finish with this. Just picture in your minds the MTR map. I was going to put it on the slides, but I imagine you have it all etched into your memory. You can picture all the different connection points, all the new extensions, and just think of what that map represents in this city. The different homes where people live, that we live, the different workplaces, the journeys that we take. See, as we travel around on this system, it's a very normal thing. Thousands of people take the MTR every day. Millions, maybe. I don't, actually, I don't know if that's quite right, but it feels like there's millions of people on every single train. This is a normal thing, unimpressive, as we hurriedly get around the city. And yet, as we do that, we do that as ambassadors of Christ. As we make our way around our daily lives, we do that as those representing God in this world. We are called to be ambassadors for Christ. Not because we're mighty and impressive, but because God has chosen to work even through us. And so friends, if you are here today and you have received this reconciliation that God has accomplished for us, you have been given a ministry of reconciliation. If you have been reconciled to God, you are now called to represent Him in this world. If you have been welcomed in, you are sent out. Ambassador International Church, will we live out our calling as ambassadors for Christ? Let's pray. Father, as we consider all that you have done for us in Jesus Christ, we are astounded the lengths to which you went to reconcile us to yourself, even though we did not deserve it. Father, we recognize that this is all of grace, and so our response is one of thanksgiving. We thank you for bringing us back to yourself. And we thank you then for the awesome privilege that you have given us, that you now call us to be ambassadors for Christ in this world. We pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would strengthen and equip us to live that out even this week. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.